We read Psalm 106, verse 23, and the scriptures I have here tonight are in the New Living Translation. And the word of the Lord says this. So he declared he would destroy them. But Moses, God was going to destroy the people of God that he just got out of Egypt because they were being wicked in the sight of God. And the Bible says Moses, his chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the people. That's incredible. If you see that imagery going on, uh, I, I don't know how you all were raised, but, you know, I was raised as a child. And my parents instilled some old school principles in me, some courtesies and some mannerisms. And when two adults were talking, you know, we we were not allowed to walk up in between the conversation and interrupt it. We had to wait our turn to get attention. And so now you picture God talking to 3 million people and Moses like, uh, let me just come right in between the two of you. He steps in between the creator, the all powerful one and judgment towards the people of God. And the Bible says he begged him to turn from his anger and not destroy them. And so in your notes there, prayer is powerful. Moses is talking to God. When you talk to God, you are in prayer, communication with God. Prayer is powerful. Now, next fasting added to prayer is more powerful. So however powerful of a concept you have of prayer, you know, we, there's more concepts we can glean and learn about prayer to realize truly how powerful it is. It's not just some routine and just some sort of dead, dry, empty words that we speak and bounce off and ricochet off a wall. But I'm telling you, you can get a hold of God. You could, you could access him and he hears you and he speaks back to you if you would be sensitive to him. But fasting added to that prayer is even more powerful. And next here, extended fasting added to prayer is most powerful. Prayer is powerful. Adding fasting to your prayer is more powerful. But the more fasting you add to your more praying is the most powerful. And so Moses is literally having conversation audibly with God, face-to-face interaction. It's intense. Judgments is about to fall on 3 million people. But a man just finished fasting 40 days. You better believe in that 40 days interacting with God, he has standing with God. He has the right, the authority that God has uh, favored him with to stand in the presence and have a little confrontation or conversation. Moses's influence with God was tremendous enough to change the mind of God. Moses intervened and became an intercessor and spared over three million souls. What we mean by intercession or intervening, you are coming between two colliding forces and you are breaking it up. That's what it means to intercede. You're standing in the gap. You are a mediator. You are an advocate for a a confrontation going on and you're trying to bring resolve. And literally Moses gets between God and his judgment that he's about to pour out on three million people. One man who prayed for 40 days and fasted for 40 days was able to change the mind of God. That's incredible thing to register. And we ought to understand the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God has a will, but we can help influence and put some input in. We don't strong arm God. We don't force God. We don't 
beat our finger into his chest and say, now you do this because I'm a bully. That's not what praying and fasting is about. But you could understand enough about the nature of God that you could begin to talk to him in his fullness and bring up his nature saying, God, you love these people. God, you brought them out miraculously. What would be said of your name if these three million died here in the desert? And God said, you're right. And God spared them. Little did Moses know that his zeal that day, his passion and fire and fervor would be transmitted. As we go on reading in Psalm 106, it goes down to verse 28. The Bible says, then our ancestors joined in the worship of Baal at Peor. They even ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They angered the Lord with all these things. So a plague broke out among them. This plague that broke out killed 26,000 people. Just like that, just poured out and because these people started uh, 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 going into false religion and and, and uh, relationships were outside of the will of God. And that's just maybe something important for us to know who were in relationship absolutely matters. And this angered the Lord and this plague broke out. Now, we read here in verse 30 that Phineas had the courage to intervene. Now, Phineas. He wasn't the one out there uh, uh, in, in these bad relationships. Phineas wasn't out there uh, offering sacrifices to dead people and worshiping a false god. And so he could have been like, yeah, I'm probably safe. I don't got nothing to worry about. But he took courage when he saw the judgment of God falling on 26,000 people. And he said, enough is enough. And he ran out and intervened. And the Bible says the plague was stopped. So he has been regarded as a righteous man. Ever since that time, there are moments that define a person. And that is the reputation you carry for a long time. There are defining moments. And Phineas took courage while over 26,000 people took compromise. And he intervened, sparing the rest of the community. He never would have been regarded as a righteous intercessor had it not been for a righteous man named Moses interceding for him prior only eternity is going to tell and reveal the fruit of your fasting and your interceding sometimes we may fast and we may pray and we may not really see uh, uh the the effects of it immediately and i don't know the exact time frame there's probably a way to figure out between you know when moses had that conversation with god and spared three million people some people estimate up to six million people but uh, either way, it's still a lot of people, and the more people than Watertown probably have ever live in it. And so the Bi- the Bible does not say that you know he immediately saw this nature in Phineas, but sometime down the road, because Moses interceded for a whole community which Phineas was a part of. Now Phineas has become an intercessor. Now he's not fasting in this moment that we know of or anything like that. But I'm just talking about the zeal and the passion and the boldness and the courage that came from a man who basically would, I guess, say his pastor, his leader, his priest, he was looking to. And he watched a man live a life of consecration. He watched a man live 40 days of fasting and interceding. And then a few, and then he goes back into another 40 days of fasting after that. It's incredible. And so no doubt when you're around someone of that caliber, they're contagious. You, you have any friends or family that when you're around them, like they're, they just, they inspire you to be whatever they are. 
You know, I get around Troy and I almost want to start working on an engine just because he inspires me to want to fix a car. But I, I, I don't know anything about a car. I don't even know where to put the gas can. So don't 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 expect me really to uh, provide or do much there. But you could be around somebody and they just they inspire you to want to do something, want to be something. And no doubt when you see Moses and all that he was doing, something was swelling inside of Phineas. And he saw something similar that happened way back when, when the judgment of God was pouring out and Moses interceded. And now he sees the judgment of God pouring out again. And with his zeal, he intervenes with courage and he stops the plague. I want us to read here in Joel 2.12. And while you're looking at that, Know as we're praying and fasting, I believe some of us will see immediate results and some of us won't. But that doesn't mean someone's doing it right and someone's doing it wrong. We're praying and fasting for different things. And there are different timetables with God. Okay. There, uh, if you remember, uh, if any of you read the book, uh, Oma, uh, you know, 30, her husband divorced her. And took all her kids away, one that she was nursing, and he and he left and divorced her because she became a Pentecostal and and thought it was cultic, and he he left her, and she was a single woman for thirty two years, never remarried, kept praying for the salvation of her ex husband, and he got saved, and they got remarried the last eleven years of his life. Some prayers just take longer, but don't stop adding your prayers to that jar in heaven that's before the very presence of God as an incense. Now, Joel chapter 2, verse 12. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. So again, this is another scene of judgment, a prophetic judgment. And God's telling the people, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. That weeping and mourning is the prayer aspect that those are the things in the people's prayer while they are fasting. Uh, it's okay to be emotional when you pray. It's okay to cry when you pray. It's okay to mourn and lift up your voice. If you've ever seen someone that had a tragic loss in the moment or even at a, a funeral, uh, no one has to prod them to be emotional. No one has to prod them to start to moan from their innermost being and cry out and let a wail out because something very dear and close to them, something's going on. And so we can have that in prayer as well. And God says, that's what I want you to do. Give me your heart and do it in prayer. Do it in weeping, mourning, and fasting. Now, God says, turn to me now. Now is the best time because it's the only time you're guaranteed. You're not guaranteed one minute from now, but now, right now you can do something right now. You can pray right now. You can lift up your voice. If we start thinking, well, you know, the new year already passed and I didn't write down any resolution. So I'm going to have to wait till 2019. You're not promised 2019. You're not, we're, none of us are promised anything. Well, we could die. My, my father, in his gym class when he was in high school, a, a kid in his high school dropped dead on the gym floor, just had a brain aneurysm. I, I'm not here to freaking scare people out here, but I'm just saying we have no idea what can happen. That's why the Bible says in the book of James, uh, 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 ch chapter 4, chapter 5, you know, it says if, don't, don't, don't tell people what you're going to do down the road and be arrogant and so full of confidence in what's going to happen. It says, if the Lord will, we shall do this or we shall do that. God willing, 
God gives us that time. And so right now is the best time to, 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 to stop being addicted. Right now is the best time to start a prayer life. Right now is the best time to start your church attendance. Right now is the best time to start being expressive to God. Right now is the best time to start treating your spouse better. Right now is the best time to start making relationships with your kids better. Right now, not later, now is the best time. And so the heart is given wholly or completely through fasting, weeping, and mourning. So if you're reading Joel 2.12, God says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. How do you give your heart to God? He says, do it through this fasting. Through, do it through this weeping. Do it through this mourning. Because when you pour all that, what weeping and mourning is, it's all that's really pressed down inside of you. And you're finally releasing it like a pressure cooker. I mean, it's just so built up, you can't hold it in anymore. And if you held it in, you're going to explode and you'll die. you got to let it out and give God your heart completely. Look at the next verse in Joel 2, 13. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful, he's compassionate, he's slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. This is incredible. The mere external does not properly reflect the internal or alter the eternal. And basically when he tells them, look, a lot of you guys know how to express some things externally, but really it's not coming from within. And this is not to contradict what we just read and what we just said about weeping and mourning, okay? Because God's the one that said to do that. But he's telling these people a deeper level. Yes, you can weep, you can mourn, you can rip your clothes. Like they they would do that in the biblical times when something tragic would happen. They literally would grab their garment and just rip it. Now, here it's no big deal to us because we go to Walmart and get one for a dollar or three dollars on the clearance rack and and we're good to go. But Bible times coming across clothes is not as easy and it's a little more time staked, you know, to, to put into repairing that garment. But God says, I don't want you just to do rip your clothes. I want your heart to be ripped open to me. I want you to humble yourself in that manner because that's what's going to make the eternal difference. Because we can physically fool people in this room in our moment in the altar. But God knows if you're really tearing your heart open and saying, God, this is my heart. I, I can't hide it anymore. I can't keep this in anymore. I humble myself. The heart is not torn by clothing, but by fasting. When we fast, feeling empty, that is when we will be filled with, with, Jesus, uh, with, with, with God said in his word here, un failing love. He wants to fill us with unfailing love. But the only way you can feel the content of a vessel is that vessel has to be open and that vessel has to be empty. If I had a bottle here of bottled water and the cap was on, even if the uh, in, uh, even if the uh, bottle was empty but the cap is on, I can't get anything in there. I got to take the cap off. And that's what happens when you open your mouth and your heart. You're emptying yourself of what's in you. And you are allowing God now to fill you with his spirit, with his love, with forgiveness. That's why we're so intense here saying, come on, lift up your hands. Come on, open your mouth. Come on, talk out loud to God. Because when you are vocalizing what's in here, you're pouring out so God can now pour in. But he can't pour in until you pour out. And God, in this scripture, he's talking about weeping and mourning and fasting. And that is to the nth 
utmost degree of completely giving yourself over to a torn heart. Now, I'm not saying prayers without fasting. You can't accomplish that. You can't. I'm just saying there's a different level of tearing your heart open to God when you add these components together. Verse 14. Who knows? Perhaps he'll give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. I love that. Who knows? Perhaps. You'll never know till you fast and pray. Why not find out? Who knows? Perhaps. Some, someone, you know, say, well, you know, I, I don't know if I want to do all this praying. I don't know if I want to do all this fasting. You know, I, 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 I don't think God's going to uh, heal me anyways. I don't think God's going to turn my marriage around anyways. I, I, I don't think my kid's ever going to want to make right with me again. I, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever overcome this, this situation. Who knows? Perhaps. You don't know till you try. If, if you've never tried fasting, don't just brush it off. If you never tried dedicated praying if for extended amount of periods of times on a daily basis, who knows? Perhaps. I, most of us, I, be, I believe all of us are a product because someone somewhere was praying and fasting. Verse 15. Just about done here. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. Let's get everybody involved. Let's all get involved in this. You know, sounding the horn when it says blow the ram's horn was an alarm and an emergency. They didn't just like toot the horn because they got nothing better to do. Like, hey, you know, let's just let's, let's just see how this thing sounds. Let's know that it was an emergency. It was something serious to gather the community together. Many times we take to fasting when the need is urgent. So this is an urgent situation. Talking about going to God with all your heart, rending your heart open through weeping, mourning, and fasting. And he blows the trumpet. This is urgent. This is serious. This is, this is the real deal. And if there's something serious going on in your life and it's out of your control, do not try to do it through human ingenuity. Approach it with prayer. And if prayer doesn't seem to be breaking through that wall, add fasting to that prayer. Who knows? Perhaps. This is emergency. This is urgent. It is wise to set a time and invite others to consecrate for there is strength in numbers. Because it was read here, they blew the horn, and the Bible says in, in, in verse 15 that they announced a time of fasting. It's good to set a time. Don't just like wander, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Oh, I, have, I forgot to eat breakfast and lunch today. I didn't have time. Okay, I guess I'm going to fast. That's not how fasting works. Set a time and go after it and follow through with what you're, you committed and do it with having a, a fasting together is powerful. See, Moses, yes, he fasted alone for a nation, but there, no, no, there was never again anyone like Moses, the Bible says, in all the earth. Now, Ruth ruled a nation, but called it to fasting. The same thing with the king of Nineveh, ruled a nation, but called the whole nation to fasting. Who knows? Perhaps. What was the outcome? The whole nation of Nineveh and all the Jews uh, uh, in, in, under the jurisdiction of a pagan king who was married to a Jewish queen were spared because somebody set a whole nation together. Let's come together and fast. 
Let's come together and pray. Let's come together and focus. And it's incredible. The king of Nineveh went to the nth degree. He made everybody, men, women, children. He made animals fast. Nobody ate in that whole city. And and they're all pagans, and they all killed the prophets of God. But because they set their mind to fasting, who knows? Perhaps. And they changed the mind of God, and they were spared. Last verse here, Joel 2.17. Let the priest who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray, spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? The best way for people to catch the spirit of fasting is for the preachers to exemplify a lifestyle of it and build and maintain that culture. You know, there's a lot of people who preach from the pulpit, but they don't practice what they preach from the pulpit. It's easy to tell people what to do from a platform, but it's a whole other thing to live out what you preach. And we better live out what we preach. We better live out what we proclaim to people that we believe. And if you if you want if you want to you know lead people in fasting, you better lead by fasting. You want to lead people to prayer, you better lead by living a life of prayer. You want to lead people to live a life that's separate and holy, you better lead and live a life that is holy and separate. Amen? And so uh, when the people and the preachers fast, they are standing between judgment and redemption, bridging a gap for people to make it to the altar and into the holy of holies. And that's that's what God is saying. He goes, yeah, people come around this altar and they do sacrifice, but preacher, you better pray, you better fast. So it's not just an external thing because the altar is a nice place. But I'm telling you, God wants to take you into a deeper realm than just the altar. He wants you to get into the holy place. He wants you to get into the holy of holies. And that's what happens when you live a life of consecration at the altar and begin to intercede. God's going to invite you to a further place in the temple of God and and into the place of God. Because there was the altar in the Old Testament, but that was not inside the temple. They, They were just there between the entrance to the temple and the altar. And the Bible says that priest was to weep between the entrance of the temple and the altar. He was standing in the gap. He was intervening through his fasting, weeping, and mourning, creating an opening for the people can go through the altar into the holiest of holies, symbolically speaking for us today. I want us to look at the reading on the back here. My wife uh, came across an article in her devotions, and she shared it with me, and and so I, I, I wrote it down, and I wanted to go just read through it with you. I think it's, I, I like it. It's, it's a short little uh, article, Daily Devotion, but it is, it is good. It's by uh, uh, a lady in her movement named Lori Wagner. And here's, here's what she writes. An outward sign of repentance has never been sufficient to God. We just read that in Joel 2.13. Tearing clothes or wearing ashes is not what he wants to see, but rather a rending of the heart that reveals genuine humility and tenderness. To rend doesn't just mean to tear. It can also refer to making wide or large of eyes or to open the heavens. When Christians rend their hearts through fasting, could it be their spiritual vision is expanded and they experience more of heaven? Wow. 
In Joel 2.12, God said, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. How does a person do that? God answers the question with fasting, weeping, and with mourning, with rending the heart and turning to the Lord your God. Turning means to return, to come back to relationship. And that is to be done with all the heart, the inner person, mind, will, soul, and understanding. God wants all of you turned toward him. Through fasting and prayer, God's people rend their hearts and consecrate themselves to him. Jesus told his followers that some strongholds would come down only by adding fasting to prayer. Fasting afflicts your self. The word afflicts uh, comes from a root word that means to look down. In simple terms, fasting gives human pride a reality check, a fresh perspective on God's bigness and humanity's smallness. It brings carnal appetites and emotions in line and gets things in their proper order. When God's people are in God's order, they are positioned for the miraculous with open eyes and open hearts. I, I, I don't know if that strikes you the same way it struck me, but it is, it's so eye-opening and enlightening and encouraging that this is what perhaps, who knows, could happen as you begin to live a life of consecration. I've been saying this quite a bit through the past uh, uh, number of uh, two months or so uh, since Josh Herring uh, just gave me a word from the Lord concerning myself in this church, and that is preparation plus consecration equals visitation. We've been preparing for this moment. We are now in a time of consecration, and those things are going to bring about the visitation. And as Lori Wagner stated here in this article, when people are in God's order, they are positioned for the miraculous with open eyes and open hearts. I stated this earlier in our Bible study that I'm hungry for more of God holds a more significant meaning when you're fasting because you literally are hungry for something. But you are you, the, 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 the crying out of your flesh becomes drowned out by the crying out of your spirit because your spirit is finally breaking through because all we've ever tended to was our flesh every day. That's how we lived our life. Well, I want to smoke that. I want to touch that. I want to rent that. I want to buy that. I want to own that. I want to whatever. But when we become consecrated to God, we are killing our flesh. And as you kill your flesh, now you can hear the voice of the Spirit crying out, I want you, God. I'm hungry for you, God. God, what are you trying to say to me? And you can more clearly hear the direction of the Lord. Let's stand together. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your truth. And we thank you, God, as we've been through these Bible studies on fasting, that you have challenged us and you've opened our eyes. And, Lord, you've inspired us, Lord, to go above and beyond protocol in the normal, average, routine Christian walk in this day and age. Lord, you are calling us a deeper consecration, not to merely rend and tear our clothes, God, but to rend and tear open our hearts before you, Jesus. We want more of you. We hunger and thirst after your righteousness. And I believe you are going to fill those, God, that truly 
are hungry for you, that truly are consecrating themselves. And Lord, I believe with all my heart, we are going to see a visitation of your presence as we weep between the porch and the altar. As we weep, we mourn, we cry out to you in fastings and Lord in prayers. We are going to see a visitation from heaven as you open up the windows of heaven and you roll back the roof of this church. God, you are going to situate a ladder between here and heaven and the angels of the Lord shall ascend and descend in this place and your glory shall fill this place and your demonstrated presence is going to be known. I believe that and I rejoice in it, God, and I pray we follow through with our consecration and someone say in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus name. Thank you for coming to Bible study.